We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. This is episode 74. Hopefully you're pumped up listening right now to Aroldis Chapman's entry music. The Yankees are finally playing a little bit better. Three straight series wins at home versus tough competition. Boston, KC, and the White Sox. They just finished up the series win. This is Sunday afternoon, so we're feeling good. Scott, what's up? Yeah, and it's not even just a little bit. It's tremendously better. It's night and day from the Yankees that we saw before. We had Austin Romine on Saturday in the DH position. Austin Romine was a designated <laughs> hitter. That's not even in this world. What's happening? This is, this, is, this is completely opposite of what we saw two weeks ago. I know, man. Romine, he's starting to play better as well. The whole team seems to be energized. I think Chapman might have something to do with it. 
Uh, episode 74, Nick Goody, number 74 in 2015. He has since moved on to a more uh, baseball number, number 41. So far with the team this year, he has made a couple appearances, allowed one run in eight innings. But there's a little caveat to that. All four of the inherited runners that he has come in with have scored. So it's not all Goody from Nick Goody. And that is his Twitter handle, which I actually thought was pretty good. Yeah, he uses the underscores. I don't trust people who use underscores in there. In oh, their really? Handles. You don't? No, I don't trust them at all. When I <laughs> Especially my... ones with Yankees underscore talk. I when know. I set up my Twitter back in 2010 <laughs> or whatever it was, I didn't really know what Twitter was. I saw a couple people using underscores, and so I went with it. That's, that's sort of how we wound up with Yankees underscore talk, and now I feel like I'm too far down the rabbit hole to change it at this point. Yeah, I just couldn't go with the underscore thing. It's just like, I, I need to find something together. It's it, it hurts my brain looking at that. So, you know, as you said, much better turnaround from the Yankees. They absolutely needed it with this homestand. If they did not play well in this homestand, you may have been able to write off the 2016 season. But that's not what happened. That's not, not what, what happened. happened. What they started doing is playing a lot better, and they completely look like a different team. It's it's really remarkable. I think we called this because the entire team was struggling at the same time, right? So what what's supposed to happen in baseball, Susan? The whole team's supposed to get hot at the same time, right? Yeah. And that's exactly what's going on. Maybe. Maybe that will happen for the Yankees. Um it, it couldn't have gotten any worse than the last, you know, where we were a week and a half to two weeks ago. It could not have gotten any worse. So it did have to turn around. The offense has definitely picked things up. The offense and the bullpen are the reason they won seven out of 10 games on this homestand. We're going to get into the starting rotation and the issues there. But let's start with some positives. I think that we owe it to listeners and to ourselves to talk about some positives. And I think the number one positive has been Chapman's return has definitely energized this team. He came in on Monday. That was his first game against Kansas City, the defending champs, and we saw the stadium have a nice buzz to it, and it just seemed like he he got the the rest of the guys fired up. Yeah, it's it's really remarkable what one guy like that can do to a team and and kind of create such a buzz. I know Rich Kaufman wrote an article about this in his uh, in his column last week, just about how the ninth inning is really just a show again. I mean, it was obviously we had Rivera for you know for however long for his entire career with Enter Sandman, and there was just a spectacle in the ninth inning. We knew he was coming in, and now with Chapman there with this type of buzz, with the Rage Against the Machine coming in, with all the fire around on the on the on the screens around the stadium it's definitely an energy and i think everybody's looking up at that radar gun to see what he can do next because it's just one of those things you don't see very often so it's definitely definitely bringing some juice back to the stadium every time he cracks 100 on the gun you can hear the stadium get a little bit louder they don't want to see 99 they want to see triple digits and the thing i love about chapman is it seems like he gets pissed off every time he does not strike somebody out which is hilarious to see yeah, I mean, if you look at any of his stuff, like Instagram, his Twitter, like all these, he even has it like, you know, he has hats about 105. Like his, he's definitely marketing this 105 thing. And he's definitely proud of it. So I think for his own like brand, he needs to stay in triple digits because that's kind of who he is. You know who else is marketing 105? 105 who? We are. 105 oh, yes. stadium speed limit. That is the truth. <laughs> I forgot. Yes, we are. I forgot about the own, my own shirt. Get, yeah. get your 105 mile an hour stadium speed limit t-shirts in the Bronx Pinstripes fan shop. You can buy them today. 
Today, uh, they will be, yes, they will be available today. I said Friday and I dropped the ball on that. I didn't have time to, to finish it up and put it on the shop. They will be there tomorrow along with our with along with along our version of the end of the bullpen. And actually, I think you came up with it. With, with the, the, the slogan. Miller, yeah. Uh, and uh, so I, I saw the no runs DMC going around the internet. I, I guess yeah. that was a Jack Curry thing that started. But I, oh, I, I thought it was Michael Kay. Uh, Either I'm not way, sure who it was, but I, I did have an idea similar to that about three months ago when when the trade and everything happened, or four months ago. Yeah, see, to me, like that one's just a complete. I, I understand it. It's it's a little long, too much of a play. It's kind of like Vacation, the the new Vacation movie. It's like no, you need to stand on your own. And I think ours, while paying tribute to the to Run DMC, is completely unique. And actually, it makes a lot more sense because it's consistent with the letters. I don't know. You know, I'm not going to give it away yet, but it'll be there tomorrow. Definitely check out the shop and see what it is. Yeah, check out. As you're listening to this now, it should be there. Hopefully, Scott does his homework tonight and gets that up. And uh, you can check that out right now. But, you know, we saw, it, you know, Chapman got the ninth. Whether you agree with it or not, you know, Batances in the seventh, Miller in the eighth. Each of them have blown a save in in the seventh and eighth inning this week. But the thing I loved was the team picked him up right after. Patances on Sunday today, he he gave up the lead to Chicago and the team came right back and scored a run. Miller a few days ago against Kansas City gave up a home run to Lorenzo Kane. The very next inning, the Yankees got him the lead. So you know this this team is finally re-energized. I'm not saying it's 100% because of Aroldis Chapman. But, you know, it, it really started on that uh, with the homestand and, and you know, knowing that Chapman was coming back on Monday with the defending champs coming in. So it's just good stuff there. I love to see that the team picked up Batances and Miller, who, you know, out of all the guys, deserve to be picked up. And it's nice that they hit this this homestand when they did because they definitely felt like they needed it. They, they needed to get back into Yankee Stadium, back in front of the home crowd, back in New York to kind of you know get their bearings and make sure that they could kind of readjust and get back into the season because this was a, obviously it was extremely important home stretch and to get that momentum to go back on the road is extremely important. And they definitely I know McCann talked about it a few times in post game interviews about how important it was for them to get back here and to really right the ship. And it really looks like they've they've done that quite a bit. Obviously with winning the last three series, so it's been uh, it's been a good a good homestand for sure. And it was definitely one that they needed. How would you like to see? But uh, how would you like to see Girardi handle Batances and Miller? Would you like to see him just always go with? Batances, you get the seventh, Miller, you get the eighth, or would you like to see him mix it up uh, depending on matchups? Um, I don't know. I, I think I think having your inning is does does mean something. Like they they know that because for for these three guys, I don't think matchups are as important. In all honesty, I, I think they match up against a righty and lefty. All three of them match up well against a righty or lefty. While one may match up a little bit better than another due to history or you know you know whoever they're going against but it's not a big difference in all honesty and I think at that point uh, because of the the minuscule differences between the the two righty lefties against these guys I would keep them in an inning um, unless there's just an uh, you know a very special circumstance yeah maybe if David Ortiz is coming up in the seventh inning with and you're up by one I, I would definitely consider using Andrew Miller instead of uh, Batances for the seventh inning I think in a situation like that, if it's a you know a division foe, to, you know maybe if you're going for a sweep or if you're if it's an important game and and Girardi feels the pressure, of their match, 
up and the numbers are, are better for one guy. And it's a guy like Ortiz who's just been crushing the Yankees uh, his entire career. And lately it seems like he's been really crushing the Yankees. That's one of those circumstances where I would do it. But I think I think these guys should, you know, kind of flow into their spot and, and to get into a groove. Because I do think at the end of the bowl, at the end of the uh, the game, um, you know, they all have a closer's mentality. So if they know what inning they have and that's their that's their inning to close, then I, I think that that can do a lot for a mindset. Yeah, and the good thing about I think both Miller and Batances is they're they're easygoing guys, they're team first guys. So I think if Girardi wants to use Miller in the seventh inning, he's not gonna get upset about that. He clearly was not upset about handing over his closer job to Eraldis Chapman. So you know, I can't say enough good things about those two guys. That that really has been the bullpen's been the highlight of the the Yankee season so far. It definitely was the highlight of the homestand. Um I wrote my featured column on Friday about the Yankees catching the injury bug once again this year. And it kind of all happened as a domino effect. Uh, A-Rod went on the DL on, on, I believe it was May 3rd. And then a day later, CC has, has that great start. And then he goes on the DL and then Ellsbury gets a hip and misses a week of games. And then Teixeira misses two games, which I know is not a huge deal, but he missed two games with a sore neck. And it just seemed like one after another and big name guys Going on, going out on the sidelines for the Yankees, and it made it that much more difficult. It made it more that much more impressive that they were able to win seven out of these last ten games. Yeah, it's one of those next man up scenarios, you know. And it's like uh, it's like playing Iron Man. You gotta you gotta pick up the slack of other guys. And I think sometimes when the pressure's on, uh, you know, especially elite athletes like these guys, you have you have a different type of mentality when you know you have to pick somebody up. So I think it only put a little bit more pressure on them, but in a good way. And and obviously these guys stepped up. They they really took hold of of playing more and, and you know. Aaron Hicks being probably the the primary guy who who benefited that you know from getting the more at bats, but you got to have that. I mean, to to go an entire season in baseball, you need guys to step up in in situations where where big names are out or you know you know when they're in a big situation. This this needs to happen for a team to be successful. Yeah, you mentioned Aaron Hicks. He played in all ten of the games on the homestand, but he started nine of them while Ellsbury was out. During that time, he hit three forty five with two homers and two doubles. So. You know, Aaron Hicks, who had not hit all year, finally had a great homestand. Great at the plate, but kind of looked a little shaky in center field, in my opinion. Got a few bad jumps on some balls that I think Ellsbury probably catches. But overall, Aaron Hicks is starting to play much better, which is absolutely what they envisioned when they traded for him. Yeah, and look at that trade now. I mean, with with the way Romine's playing and uh, having having Hicks in the outfield, because if we didn't have him, we would have you know the uh, another Scranton shuttle for for outfielders, be, you know, playing in the outfield. But Aaron Hicks is that guy, and making sure doing well. Yeah. So let's also update on uh, on some of those injuries we just mentioned. A Rod could return from the DL on May nineteenth. They say he is feeling good, but I'm a little bit worried about a hamstring on a 41-year-old. I don't know about you. I'm glad A-Rod is coming back on time when he's supposed to come after the after the the short DL stint. But you know, like you, I know you and I have talked about this. But you know, when you get that old, your your muscles don't tend to react the same way as you were as a young man. And I'm just with a hamstring; those te- those things linger. You know, those are the type of muscle that, that really linger. You need your lower half, obviously, to to hit the ball and to hit well and effectively with power. And, you know, I think it's it's one of those things I have to wait and see to see how A-Rod's going to uh, be affected by it. So I really hope that he can come back at full strength and that they're not bringing him back too early. Because to me, 
if that's even a consideration, I would even hold him out longer to make sure that he's healthy. I would too. I don't want him coming back at 85% and then maybe tweaking it again and having to go back on the DL. I would gladly hold him out another 15 days if it meant he's going to be 100%. The offense is not playing to what I think their potential is. And I think if they are going to be a strong offense, A-Rod will need to be a part of that. But they're playing well enough right now where they can win games without him, which is good news. Uh, Also good news is that CC seems great. He threw a simulated game on Sunday and felt good. So he's going to make a start Friday in Oakland as long as nothing goes wrong between now and then. That's a good ballpark for him to be thrown in too. That's a that's one where he can he can kind of let it go a little bit. It's also his hometown. So there you go. A little so home cooking, good, little, little home cooking for uh, for Cece. So good news for him. I'm glad he's doing well. I'm glad the groin is is healing well. Nobody wants a bad groin. It's never a good situation for a guy. And uh, yeah, I'm glad he's coming back because he was so effective. I mean, the, the, to this point in the season, if we realized how much you know, how, how much of a good thing it would be for him to come back. I think everybody who's listening to the show, you and me included talking, would be extremely surprised by that because he has, you know, really taken advantage of, of his opportunity this year and, and learned, seems like really turned the corner, uh, you know, building on what he did at the second half of last year, at the end of last year, and learned how to pitch with, with less stuff. So good for CC, and I'm glad he's coming back. Here's a fun CC stat. He's the only Yankee starter this year to allow three earned runs or less in all of his starts. That's amazing. Isn't it? I found, that's I was, amazing. It really as, is. As I was writing my Friday column, I found that I've, I was doing some research and I found that out. I mean, obviously Pineda, Severino are obvious. Ovaldi's had a couple bad starts, although he's been overall pretty good. And Tanaka in the last couple times out has let up more than three runs. So I know CC did pitch only four and two thirds innings twice, but all of his other starts were more than six, six innings or more and three runs or less, which out of your number five starters, unbelievable. Yeah, it's good stuff. There's nothing, nothing really too negative you can talk about CC. It's all, it's all real positive right now. And it, it's coming at a good time because obviously with the Severino injury, they need an extra starter. Um, Ellsbury missed seven games with the hip, and I think that's more than they originally thought. He had that hip injury. I believe he suffered it on Friday, last Friday versus Boston, and he was expected to miss the rest of the Boston series, but they thought he was going to be back Monday or Tuesday, and it took him until the weekend. So... Ellsbury, I just, he was starting to play well. He was on base 10 times in his last four games before he got hurt. Remember how many times he was on base in that Baltimore series? I know they lost two out of three, but he was all over the base pass in that in that series. Yeah, and I think this is the, a similar scenario that we're seeing with the Yankees being a little bit more overcautious with a small injury. They want to make sure a small injury doesn't turn into a long injury. And by holding him out a few more days to make sure he's just 110% healthy is, again, to me, that's a, it's a smart move because we know what he's, we, he's, uh, he's injury prone. He's made of glass. And this guy needs to be 100% healthy uh, because he does get dinged up. You know, if he's already starting with a ding, that's, uh, that's not a good thing for him. So that's fine with me. And look, what, what have been people doing? We've benefited from these guys being out. You know, obviously, it's never good to have an injury. But at the end of the day, it's been beneficial because we've gotten extra at-bats for Hicks. Um, we've seen Ben Gamble come up and be productive. We've seen these guys come in and step up and do, uh, do good things. So um, overall, it's, I think it's helped the team, actually. Do you remember last week I talked about Ben Gamble's hair? How could I forget? Yes, the, and then, the, the, the Gamble flow. And then... All of a sudden, during the Kansas City series, it was all over Twitter. Ben Gamble's hair. So I mean, he really put it out there too. I yeah. mean, he, he was shaking that mop, and people were shaking his head. And yeah, he was putting it out there to to show. He was showing off. I would so far, if I were to rank the the reasons why the Yankees won seven out of ten, it would be Araldis Chapman coming back number one, and Ben Gamble's hair number two. 
and I, and I don't think there's any argument there. Um, Teixeira missed two games with a stiff neck, which is a classic Teixeira injury. But he is back, still not hitting. Is it time to move him down in the batting order? I mean, are you asking me or are you asking Joe Girardi? Because if you're asking Joe Girardi, you know the answer to that question. I'm asking you. Uh, I think I think down to like a five or six spot is as far as you're going to drop him. But the you know if he's in the four three or four slot, he's killing the team by by doing nothing. I mean this this is a guy that we need hitting and we need production out of that three four spot. And if he's not producing, then yes, I say drop him down. This guy needs to hit. I mean there need to be repercussions. This is what I don't understand about about Girardi's mentality. There are no repercussions to not doing well. And I understand there's slumps. It's baseball. You there, it's a streaky game. But when you start getting to to the point where you know it's it's over it's it's beyond a slump it's it's extended period of time that you're not hitting there need to be repercussions for that i mean this is a job you are a professional athlete and you need to be held to a certain standard and by just rolling the same guy out there just expecting it to end and it never ends it's not that's not doing the team any justice yeah in what other life situation are there no repercussions for not doing your job <laughs> So. Zero. Professional sports is like the only area where that, where that actually is a, is a thing, unless you're a manager or a coach. Yeah, especially professional sports when you're a very high-paid high player. It seems and like. guaranteed contracts, yeah. yes. So baseball is one of the worst sports for that. It's baseball, yeah. Baseball is the biggest one for sure. But Tex is coming up on 100 at-bats without a home run. Yeah, that's something that's that's terrible, man. That's you cannot have that. It's Chase Headley territory. <laughs> that's bad, dude. Especially being in Yankee Stadium, you know, with a long home stretch, and and uh, I mean, he was he was gone a couple games, but I mean, you know, put, give me a fly ball to the right field. Seriously, just give me a fly ball to the right field. It'll it's go not out like you have to crush one down the right yeah. field line to get it, it will out. Go out of, it will go out. Yeah. So I know he hit a double today batting right-handed, which was good to see. But uh, they need his power bat. He was the X factor last year. I still think if he hits, he the lineup will take off. So I said it two weeks ago, and we said it last week, Teixeira needs to start hitting for this offense to really, really play up to their potential. Um, I'm starting to believe that he's cheating on this diet and those peanut butter sandwich. That peanut butter sandwich tweet was not a farce; it was a real thing. Oh, definitely. I'm thinking these peanut butter sandwiches are are, uh, are holding him down a little too sticky. He is little, off the no. Yeah, he's off the no grain train wagon. He he has fallen off the wagon with that. Not a good look. It's not sluggish, look. man. When you when you don't eat grains for that long and then you start eating grains again, you get sluggish. Get tired. Yeah, he needs a hammock. <laughs> Uh, we did miss his glove, though, when he went out because Ackley cannot play first base. No, he tries well. He tries as hard as he can, but he's no to share. I mean, it's it's such a giant drop-off from really for most most anybody to come in for, for Teixeira. I think we got kind of lucky seeing Bird because he wasn't, I mean, granted, I'm not saying Bird has a, has a Teixeira glove, but he wasn't a significant drop-off. But he's also a first baseman. Ackley's not a first baseman. So, you know, he's he's in there doing the best he can, I think. it's uh, But it's you definitely see a, a huge drop-off from, from everybody else after Teixeira. Well, it was pretty evident in that game Pineda started versus the Royals in the first inning where there was a, a hard-hit ground ball to Ackley, but it was right at him. And it went right through his right, you know, by his glove. Could have easily not at least knocked it down and gotten one out. But Teixeira 100% turns that into a double play. And then the Pineda ended up giving up a three-run homer to Perez in that inning, which Shocker. he would have been he would have been out of the inning if if Teixeira was playing. I'm not giving Pineda a pass on that because he still did give up the three-run bomb. But that Teixeira saves runs. There's no question about that. Run prevention, Mark Teixeira, extremely important in that stuff. Well, well, that's all he is now. He's like a defensive replacement now that he can't hit oh, anymore. Terrible. He's a $22 million defensive replacement. X-Factor glove. <laughs> it's a good glove. 
<laughs> it is a damn good glove. Um, so what do you think about Jorge Mateo moving over to second base in the minors? This isn't a full-time move, but he is going to start to get some work at second base. In that episode where you and I did the Jorge Mateo mailbag, we thought there was no chance of that happening because Mateo is one of the Yankees' top prospects. He is the top shortstop prospect in the system. We were saying, why would Cashman mess with that? But uh, he will get some time at second base. I don't think I had that hard of a line stance on that. Uh, I think I, the way I was talking about Mateo, the way I've always had Mateo in my mind is we need to get him to the major leagues and put him on a path to get there. And I think that giving him the flexibility of second base and shortstop, getting him time at both places, definitely helps that path. It makes that path more clear. And why am I saying there is, why is there a clear path at second base or shortstop? Well, there's not in the big leagues right now. But if you look at my, my long-term general manager plan of Scott Reinen, you'll know that I think Castro could play third base extremely well and that he is going to be the long-term third baseman for the Yankees. And that second base or shortstop, one, uh, one of those two spots could be open. So, you know, whether it's – and the way Didi's been playing shortstop, you cannot move him. I mean, he's, he's been playing well. He's been hitting well. He's a phenomenal glove. And Mateo is, you know, how early he is in the in his career. You know, get him some movement around there and see what he can do at second base. At least see what we've got. Um, so I think it's a smart move. I'm excited for that because what that means to me is that one, the the Yankees brass has confidence in him making that move. They think he's capable of it, which is a positive sign. And and two, it's you know it's giving him more flexibility to to get to the big leagues faster. And that's nothing but good because he's a dynamic player that we would love to see in the Bronx sooner than later. This move allows them to bring Mateo up to double-A Trenton quicker than he otherwise would have because Tyler Wade is the shortstop in Trenton, and I I don't think they want to move him from there. But uh, Mateo can get a lot of double-A at-bats if he can play second base, and he otherwise would not really get many at-bats in double-A if he was only shortstop. And I think Mateo has proven that he can hit in single-A. So I think he's ready to make the next step, and, and you're right. This is an absolute move for him to start moving up the system quicker. It's not like they're that if he plays you know, 30% of the time at second base, he's going to lose the ability to play shortstop. So uh, I think it's both a short-term and a long-term move for, for the Yankees and Mateo. Um, were you watching the Scherzer 20 strikeout game this week? I saw the end of it. I saw, you know, when I heard he was getting close, I started flipping channels a little bit to to find out what he was going, what was going on there. So it was exciting. The guy gets the guy gets pumped up. I, I like I like watching him pitch. Thankfully, his, that, his eyes freak me out. But yeah, he's got he's got bug eyes. He's got uh, Ricochet Caldwell or Ricochet. I call him Ricochet because the ball always bounced off his hands. But Ricochet Caldwell for the Patriots. You remember his eyes just bugged. He's out in of his jail. Head. Yeah, he's in jail right now. Is he really? Yeah, Rache Caldwell is in jail. He's uh, he. I think he is a drug ring that he got. He got busted, and I think it was uh, ecstasy. Wow. Yeah, I just read something about him, or read saw something about him. Maybe, maybe I did too, and that's why his name popped up in my head. Possibly. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, thankfully, the Scherzer twenty strikeout game was the night the Yankees got killed by the Royals, so I was able to flip over to that on MLB TV, and I watched the last couple innings. Uh, it's electric watching a guy try to strike everybody out. He was throwing upper 90s in, in the last inning. He did give up a home run. But uh, I was also watching Kurt Schilling's periscope of Scherzer's no-hitter. So Schilling was doing like play-by-play of the Scherzer no-hitter. And listen, Kurt Schilling is a total D-bag. Wait, when he was watching it on TV? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he's not in the studio or, or anywhere near a ballpark. No, he was on his couch. Right? He was on okay. his couch. Yeah. Okay. 
And he was just sort of going through if he was in the place of Scherzer, how he would be thinking. And it was actually very entertaining. I usually hate Schilling because obviously he was a Yankee killer for the Diamondbacks and the Red Sox. But and he's just an overall jackass. But I found it very interesting. It's kind of watching the the ramblings of a madman as he's spiraling out of control. So that's always entertaining to me. Yeah, and Scherzer, I mean, he he had the he had the eyes. I mean, he's got crazy eyes in the first place, but he looked looked like a lunatic, like a like a, a guy possessed on the on the mound in the ninth inning. It was it was pretty entertaining to watch because you could just tell he was completely into the moment, and he was so set on getting that twenty that twenty one that um, it was just fun to watch. It's like when you watch a guy compete that hard and at at a point of a milestone, it's it's pretty entertaining, especially against Detroit or his old team. It's definitely cool to watch yeah that's no joke of a lineup to strike out 20 guys with uh cabrera and both martinez guys in there that's a really tough lineup to strike out that many people it's not just work either that it's very personal at that point because he knows he has relationships with those guys a lot of those same guys were on the team when when scherzer was there so you know a lot of that is uh you know he knows these guys you know very well so there's 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 more stuff that goes into it if you were arenado would you have booted that that ball at third at the end no, you can't do that. You gotta, you gotta make a good throw. Cause it's, cause it's a one run game. It, it was right? a two, yeah, it was a three two game. I think. What if it had been like five nothing? No, I'm still making the throw. Really? Yeah. No, if it's if it's anything but a one run game, I think I'm booting it. Yeah, there's so many bad things that can happen with that. If it looks too obvious, it's gonna be horrible, and then there'll be an asterisk on 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 something that wasn't even the pitcher's fault. No, there's just so many things to go wrong with that. Mm. You, you make the play. I don't know. Uh, so do you think anyone... if I was pitching and you were on third base and I was about to do it, I'd want you to make the play. Really? Yeah, because I didn't get the strikeout. What am I gonna? That's like Jose Reyes sitting out for a batting title. Come on. <laughs> no, because you still have to strike the next guy out. It's not no, like it doesn't matter. You didn't do it. Hey, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Make the play. Yeah, I would have made it look convincing though. I would. I would have. Uh... I would have, you know, had the ball. I would have bobbled the ball. I would have acted like it took a tough hop on me. And yeah, and I'm up. sure everybody would have been convinced that it was unintentional. Yeah. Twitter would have been definitely convinced of that. <laughs> Do you think anyone's ever going to get 21? I don't know. I mean, seeing what I, 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 this is one of those I don't think I can say never on because I'm sure, yeah, I think it could happen. I think he could have, he could have gotten it. I mean, he was right there to get it. And a guy that he had struck out before in the game hit a ground ball and he, uh, he was, he was right there. I actually thought he was going to get it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's very funny to see that, that all these guys have just been stuck on 20. It's crazy. Well, yeah. I mean, 20 out of 27 is just lunacy to begin with, but yeah, I mean, you think about how, but why is 20 the number, you know, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is. Um, but you're right. I mean, it seems like 20, once the guys get to 20, I, I know Clemens and Randy Johnson both got it on their last out. So they couldn't have gotten to 21. Yeah. But uh, Scherzer, you're right. He could have gotten to 21. Um, and Car- Clemens Wood did it twice, didn't he? Clemens did it twice. This yeah. is the fifth time it's happened. So it's it's more rare than a perfect game. It's actually one of the rarest things in, in baseball. Yeah, that's interesting. No, it's definitely fun to watch. It was it was definitely a lot of fun to watch. You could feel the electricity in that place. If you uh, could break a single game record as an individual, would you pick 20 strikeouts, four home runs, or 12 RBIs? Uh, 20 strikeouts. Yeah, so, I think yeah. twenty strikeouts is. It seems to me like four home runs. I think in a in a big game would probably be the more. Well, the the record is four, so you would have five. Five. Okay, so if this is a uh, if this is like a regular season game, I would say twenty twenty strike. I would I would want the twenty first strikeout. I did a poll on Twitter, and the majority said five home runs. Yeah, everybody loves the the the, the home run ball, man. Chick dig chicks dig the long ball. 
That's it. But as as Andrew Miller said, uh, strikeouts are sexy. They are sexy. Home runs are sexy too, though. They are. Speaking of home runs and speaking of sexy, Bryce Harper suspended one game for getting in that ump's face. Yeah, he's... I mean, that wasn't the reason he... Was that what the reason... Did they quote the reason why he was suspended? Well, that, that that's why. I mean, Well, he, he also came back on the field after he was thrown. Yeah, but he so, came back on the field and got in the ump's face. Oh, it was because of that. Okay. But he was, he was tossed out of the game, and I didn't see the beginning of this. I just know he was out of the game, then he came back on the field when the home run was there, and then he yelled at the pitcher. He yelled the, uh, an obscenity at the pitcher as well. He was just overall out of control is what he was. He and, is out of control. He's the bad ball of baseball. The bad ball of baseball. Bad boy of baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, I don't know, He's he kind of rubs me the wrong way in that sense. Like, I, I appreciate it. He does, doesn't he? Yeah, but he, he kind of he, he reminds me of just like a, a whiny little bitch sometimes, and he just goes too much. He just it's, sometimes he goes too far, and uh, it looks like he's just complaining, and I, I don't I don't like that. He is starting to get on my nerves, and I know he's an electric player, and he's one of the few players in today's game where, it, you know, he's not on the Yankees, but I will watch Bryce Harper bat. I mean, there's actually very few guys in the league that I'm gonna drop what I'm doing and I'm gonna see what Bryce Harper is doing. He is that type of player, but. He does start to rub me the wrong way. I think whatever, you know, all of this, uh, this hothead thing that he's got going on in the last couple of years, it is starting to get old. And I think, I think some people will start to get sick of it. Not only fans, but also players. You could see him start to get drilled. He, he feels to me like he was like a little, you know, like a rich kid who always had, well, you know, a lot of like all the gear. He, he has that stupid hair that he, that he just like showboats all over the place. And he's always complaining about something, it seems like. He, so he just seems like a spoiled little, like a spoiled kid to me. I don't know. He, he kind of rubs me the wrong way. Well, I, I do appreciate, like, I like, I do like seeing enthusiasm on the field. I, I do see that. But for him, for some reason, it just feels a little different to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to put my shoes. If if I was put myself in the shoes of a Nationals fan, I, I would be like, you know, Bryce, how about you just tone it down a little bit so you don't get suspended from games because we need to, we need you. You're our best player. I think it's because he starts going after people. That's what I don't like. Because like, let's, I'll give you a comparison. Like, um, not Cespedes, uh, Yasiel Puig. I thought Yasiel Puig when he first came on the scene was was refreshing. I thought it was awesome. I thought like this dude was just excited to play baseball and he was excited to be here. I mean, he was freaking like kidnapped like five times to get here and like his story is crazy. And then he was just like extremely excited. People rub people the wrong way. To me, it wasn't directed against the other team. It was just like it's just complete exuberance. Whereas Harper, I feel like, directs it towards the other team and is more of like a complainer about what the other team's doing rather than just, you know, being excited to play baseball. I think I, I don't know. I think that's the the difference. Don't get me wrong. I don't want him to change because I think it is exciting and I think that, like he says, make baseball fun again. I think there is something to that. So yeah. I don't I don't want him to change. I, I agree. There's nothing wrong with having a polarizing figure out there. I mean, we, I, I like to hate people. I like to not like people sometimes. There's, it's good to have villains and good guys. You need to have, you need to have villains. Exactly. You need to have villains. And Mike Trout might be a better all-around player than Bryce Harper, but he's certainly not more exciting to watch. That's true. I mean, he's definitely he goes about his business. He's Tim Duncan. He goes about his business. He does a damn good job. And you don't really hear much from him. But at the end of the day, he's an MVP candidate every year. So they're, they're definitely different things. And I can tell you, if uh, I mean, obviously, a lot of people listening probably know many Mets fans. And he is Bryce Harper is going to be public enemy number one for a long time. Because you, because you think that he's going to stay with the Nationals and, or, and kill the Mets, or he's going to end up coming to the Yankees, and then that's also going to piss Mets fans off. 
well, that will piss Mets fans off, but I'm specifically talking about the Nationals-Mets rivalry because I think that that one's just heating up now that the, the Nationals are, are, are playing to their potential. Yeah, yeah, that, that division is close, so that should be exciting to watch. And you know later in the season when they meet up, Harper's going to run his mouth. <laughs> He'll be I, I want to see I want to see Matt Harvey and Harper go at it. That'd be fun to watch. Yeah, maybe if Harvey can start pitching better. Um, he doesn't uh, have to. Just throw one inside, beam him. Um, all right, let's get into some of the game recaps. Uh, last Sunday, we had recorded before the game because it was another Sunday night game, and it was a lame game. The Yankees got shut down by knuckleballer Stephen Wright. You know, Tim Wakefield 2.0, but at least I felt like the Yankees would hit Wakefield one out of every two starts, but they could not get anything going against Stephen Wright. It's annoying that the Red Sox just keep throwing out a knuckleballer all the time. I mean, it's like a different regime and yet still a freaking knuckleballer in their rotation. Stephen Wright's a different type of knuckleballer, though. I mean, this guy was throwing a fastball that was 88 miles an hour. Uh, Tim Wakefield never threw a fastball above you know, 82, 80, not oh, even. He was like 75. Yeah. So this is, this is a different type of guy where he can spot an 88 mile an hour fastball after he throws that cur- or after that knuckle. And that knuckle is, you know, just by listening to all the guys talking about him and you know how he, he kind of progressed and made that next step is he's been able to control it. I mean, his, his, his career was in the dumps and he reinvented himself as a knuckleballer came back and still has the juice to throw an 88 mile an hour fastball. That's a guy that could be dangerous if he can control that knuckle. Yeah. You can never trust a knuckleballer though. No, main... I don't trust them. I don't trust them at all. It's like guys with underscores in their Twitter names. <laughs> Again with that. <laughs> uh, the reason I want to talk about this game is because Ortiz also hit a bomb in this game, and he's having a ridiculous season. He just had a walk-off on Saturday in Fenway, and he has 10 home runs and 33 RBIs, and he's leading the league in slugging. And this is his quote-unquote farewell tour. So I'm making a prediction that sometime around mid to late July, you know, just after the league publicly praises David Ortiz at the All-Star game, he will have an unretirement press conference. Totally agree with you. He's such a media whore. He's all he's he's so much about Big Poppy and the whole Big Poppy uh just everything about it about him is, is to me like scream selfishness. So I totally agree. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. First of all, how can you leave the game when you're doing this well? I mean, I just, I don't know how you could do it. I mean, he's going to get caught at some point. (laughs) (laughs) He's only going to leave the game in one way, and that's going to be on some sort of list. I hope so. That'd be awesome. That's what I'm rooting for. Um, A la Manny Ramirez. I can't handle him, man. He he drives me insane. I mean, and it's not even, he he beats us so often. So he kills us. And and so badly in such opportune situations for them really pisses me off. It's starting to bring back that hatred a little bit. You'd think after 13 seasons, the Yankees would have figured out how to pitch to him a little bit. Or don't pitch to him. Maybe or that. Yeah, that's the way to pitch to him. Don't give him anything to hit in big situations. Yeah. Not that Sunday was or a big put situation. Your, put your damn hand out and walk him. <laughs> yeah, Sunday he hit the home run, and I think the Red Sox were already up 4 nothing. So, I mean, obviously you pitched him in that scenario, but... Uh, you know, the Yankees won that series against Boston, which was good. And then on Monday, they started off against Chris Young and hit five solo home runs and literally put Chris Young on the, on the disabled list. Beautiful. I mean, Chris Young is a guy that we should absolutely crush. He's a fly ball pitcher, uh, you know, at Yankee Stadium. This is a tailor-made game for the New York Yankees. Tailor-made for us to to come in and, and to, to, you know, jumpstart an offense. I mean, and they took advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, he's like 40 years old or something, throws 85 miles an hour. I was going to be he's real. A, he's a Princeton guy. I was going to be really pissed. Oh, he strikes me as a Princeton guy. Such, such a uh, Ivy League nerd. Uh, yeah, Chris that's Young. what he is. 
<clears throat> I believe it was funny. Uh, Cone and O'Neill were on the broadcast the entire homestand, and I thought they were pretty good. But they were talking about how Chris Young wrote his thesis when he was in the minors, and right. they were joking that you know he would have been the guy in the front of the bus, you know, yes. writing his paper, and they would have been in the back of the bus having fun. And I just would have liked to picture O'Neill and Cone like stuffing him in a locker because I feel like that would have happened. Yeah, that would have been a big locker. He's tall. He's like six ten. But the uh, the yeah, I, I remember when they were talking about that, and I was just I started getting just pictures in my mind of what was happening in the back of the bus at that point, <laughs> and uh, you know throwing in David Wells and throwing on there's a bunch of shenanigans going on. Yeah, I want to yeah. hear more stories like that. Cone and O'Neill are definitely back of the bus, back of the plane guys, and uh, yeah, scumbag. Yep. <laughs> uh, Nova pitched in this game. It was his first start. And uh, he pitched pretty good, but he was on a pitch count. And if it weren't for a couple of defensive issues in the fifth inning, one of them was his fault. He could not cover first base. And, you know, it's the fifth time, it seems like, this season a Yankee pitcher has been able to cover first base. But he would have probably been able to get through the fifth inning uh, if it wasn't for that. He ended up throwing 81 pitches. Would you have left him in to get that last out, though? No, I think Girardi had a had a, a plan, and it was 75 pitches. He went to 81, so he was over it. Giving him another batter, you don't know what will happen. So I, I I got no problem with that. You know, they want to make sure he's coming out on a good note, and they need him, obviously, and Girardi knows that with, with Severino's struggles, and, and then obviously we know what's, what happened with Severino after that. Um, it's it's important that he pitches well and, uh, and has good confidence. So, no, I, I'm okay with that. Yeah, Nova seems to be, you know, kind of energized by the fact that he's back in the rotation and he's going to be there for a while now, obviously. So that's good. And uh, Nova's a guy, when he's out of gas, he's really out of gas. Yeah. And that's when he starts giving up bad, bad home runs. So yeah, I got he no leaves his sinker up when he's tired and yeah. it goes a long way. Uh, Tanaka did not pitch well on Tuesday, but the Yankees ended up winning this game 10 to 7. This was the game that Lorenzo Cain had three home runs. I don't want to get really into Tanaka until we talk about Sunday's game, but uh, we will get into that. But I just want to mention that the Royals pitching staff looked really bad. They looked, uh, you know, they looked, they were injured. They they looked like they were, you know, a shell of themselves from last year as far as pitching goes. So good job for the Yankees for taking advantage of that. Yeah, and even in the first game, I mean, on Monday night, they were they were into their their bullpen like in the third inning it was at the third inning that Chris Young got it was early it was extremely early and so they you you knew at that point like that's a good thing for the rest of the series if your bullpen's getting used that much in the uh in the first game of the series so yeah they do they do look there I mean their their starting pitching is definitely not what it was um and it's it's not it's not getting them deep in the games and you can see what happened to the Yankees no matter how good your bullpen is if you use them every single night Guess what happens? They get tired and overworked, and then they're not the same. They're not the same bullpen. They're not the same uh, dynamic weapon that, that you had when they're pitching when they're supposed to pitch. So that'll do it to you. Yeah, the Yankees were able to avoid their bullpen, except you know three out of the four games, really, which is which is tremendous because they have probably the second best bullpen in the league uh, behind the Yankees. Wednesday, Pineda started and, as I mentioned earlier, gave up a three-run homer in the first inning. Listen to these numbers though in the first two innings of games that he's pitched this year. 12.86 ERA. And he does settle in after that, but he gets absolutely crushed in the first two innings. I don't get it. I don't really understand why that happens. I mean, getting, I guess, you know, he just doesn't adapt well to the beginning of games. I don't know if he's nervous. Or he's just got the jitters in the beginning and then they calm down. 
I don't know what the deal is with this guy. I mean, Cone was talking about it in one of the broadcasts saying that he had, you know, something similar to that, not, not to that extent, but where he would, he would try different things where he would go out, throw more pitches before the game. He would, you know, shake up his routine, just do his, whatever he could to try to, to get that. But at the end of the day, it's a mental thing. It's and totally I a mental thing. I completely believe it's mental, yeah. And Pineda's kind of weak mentally. Oh, he's a freaking schizo. <laughs> he's all over the place, man. His arms are all over the place. His head is all over the place. He has surpassed Evaldi as the most frustrating pitcher on the Yankees. He's definitely mine. I've, if this is what you feel like when you, when you, uh, when you looked at Evaldi last year, I, I understand frustration because he really bothers me. Pineda really bothers me. And I think it's not so much that he struggles, but it's his body language is, that, is that what gets me. Evaldi didn't, doesn't have the body language like that. He, he's got the same face every single time, whether he's doing well or not. Pineda wears it all over him. And... And you can tell when he's not pitching well because he's wearing it on his face and his arms and his legs, and he just looks like a total train wreck. So I, that's what frustrates me. I don't like that. It's just extremely frustrating because he pitches well from the third to the fifth or maybe even the sixth inning, but it doesn't matter because the team's already down to four nothing, four to one. Right. So six innings, four runs at the at the end doesn't look terrible, but he he puts his team in such a giant hole in the first two innings. Uh, how do the, how do you fix that? What do you do? team psychologist or something convince yeah. him hypnotize him convinced him that he, it's the third inning when it's really the first inning yeah i mean that's a thing like he's just got to get mentally tough man he's, he's got to come out and overcome that but i think it's a Pineda thing he really does just need to get his mindset right and i, I don't know what he's got to tweak but it's the only the answer is only going to come from him and making sure that he does it because it's not like he's not he doesn't have the stuff. He doesn't have the capability of doing this because, like you said, we know what he does after the second inning. So it's there, and it's there in the same game. It just doesn't show up. So he's got he's, he's to somehow buckle down and, and really get through those first two innings. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it, but it does need, to, it does need to, to change because the Yankees cannot keep having every starting pitcher go out there and, and barely get to five innings. It's, it's, it's going to wear the bullpen down. It's not rocket science to say that but it's the reality thursday the yankees ended up winning the series from kc which is huge and you know something so rare happened <laughs> that I, I couldn't even believe my eyes it was like seeing Haley's comet it was even more it was rare than a 21 of, it was eclipse of the sun it was like it, it was something that 21 came, strikeouts in a game it, this was more rare you know oh, I, wow. I i think this was more four rare. home runs in a game no this this is like if someone it, this is more rare than if someone will someday break Cal Ripken's streak. Wow, walking on Mars. <laughs> Chase Headley hit a home run. First extra base hit of the season. How about that? <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm glad he finally came out of this. You know, obviously it couldn't it couldn't last forever unless it unless it did. <laughs> but but it, it's not. For a I mean, second I thought it was gonna last forever. <laughs> yeah, it felt like it was. It was so long. Uh, yeah, and, and you know he hasn't stopped since then. I mean, the, the dude's playing much better, and uh, thank God because uh, I, he Girardi was just going to keep rolling him out there until until he he got better. So hopefully it stays and it, it continues and he gets back up to it's, a two fifty two fifty batting average. It's kind of ironic that it happened just when rumors started to surface that the Yankees were looking to call up a right-handed hitter from the minors. Potentially, it was going to be Rob Refsnyder. I know it ended up being Gary Sanchez. But, you know, very convenient for Chase Headley to finally start hitting when Ref Snyder rumors were starting to swirl. Dude, Ref Snyder has to have the worst luck of any player <laughs> so in the baseball. It's awful. This guy is just getting screwed over and over and over again. 
Yeah, he unbelievable. Dude can't catch a break. Poor ref. No. Poor ref Snyder. I do yeah. have a confession though. When that ball, when that ball left Chase Headley's bat off Ian Kennedy down the left field line, there was a small part of me. I want to say, I actually, I don't want to say what percent. I don't want to give it away. But there was a percent of me that was kind of hoping that ball would just twist fall. <laughs> just so that your hatred keeps staying. That's that's really that's really negative. That's it's like so bad. That's like just trying to push. It's like you love the hatred and Listen. you love the negativity. I'm not proud that's, of it. That's never going to change, man. That's that's ingrained in you. I'm really not proud of it, but that was a, that was the reality of the situation. I was starting to look forward to Chase Headley at bats to see how bad he could get. It was I was watching base. We were watching baseball history. I really thought we had turned a corner, but apparently not. We have turned really a corner thought. on a lot of stuff, but not the negativity. Yeah, not the negativity. But. Yankees hit Ian Kennedy. You and I were very happy about that. I think we talked about that last episode going into the series, that if there's one guy you got to hit in this series, it's got to be Ian Kennedy. Yeah, can't let him beat you. Definitely cannot let him beat you. An old friend, Chin Ming Wong, also pitched in this game. And, you know, good for Chin Ming Wong because he's had a very tough road ever since the injury he had when he was with the Yankees when rounding the bases. It's been a very long road. And to to even note that he's to, – to credit him that he's still in baseball at this point is, yeah. a, is a big accomplishment because he's been – He's been really coming back. Uh, it's been a long road. I know he was with the Nationals for a little while, um, and he's floated around. Blue Jays. Good for Jim and Wong. Yeah, good for Jim and Wong. He's 36 years old. I looked it up. I thought he was actually going to be older. But, yeah, I feel so bad for Jim and Wong. He, he was going to be the number two starter in 2009 and just could never get it back. Kind of sucks because he was the ace. Um, Evaldi in this game, though, he breezed through the first two innings at 28 pitches. And that was, you know, amazing. Finally, a Yankees pitcher was going to go deep into a game. And they kind of just hit a roadblock. And by the fifth inning, he was at 100 pitches. I, I'm i not really complaining about Evaldi because he's been one of their more consistent starters. But the pitch count is an issue for Evaldi. He needs to stretch. Just get to the sixth inning, especially with this bullpen. Just one more inning. But 100 pitches through five. I understand that Casey is a good fastball hitting team. And, and he's a fastball pitcher. But... When you have 28 pitches through two innings, 100 through five is kind of uh, kind of bad. You just you need to look at the body of work with with Evaldi and, and what he's done over the different starts and the fact that he's had two of his better starts in his last four. I mean, granted, the one of those four starts was in Boston and it was terrible. I, I mean, we know what the conditions were, so we'll just let that play by itself and 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 you know however you think about that as, as listening to this, um, you can take away from that, but. I we've seen a lot of very positive things from him. Even his last three starts, uh, I'm sorry, no, his last four starts, where he went for the um, he was going for the no hitter in Texas, and he came back and pitched really well um, after the Boston start. Really came back from that, which I think says something. And then here he battled through, maybe didn't have his best stuff, battled through five innings. Good for him, gave him opportunity to win the game. Yeah, and then uh, uh, so we move on for to the Chicago series. The Yankees lost that first game. Severino was pitching really bad and it ended up leaving the game with a triceps injury placed on the 15 day disabled list. Speaking of Ian Kennedy, I'm praying that Luis Severino is not Ian Kennedy 2.0, meaning he has a good rookie season and then he's expected to do really well as Ian Kennedy was in 2008. Bad starts and a, and a small injury kind of derailed Ian Kennedy with the Yankees. I hope that does not happen with Severino. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking at the two pitchers, I think Severino's ceiling is a hell of a lot higher than Ian Kennedy is, and uh, you know, just looking at them as the as two prospects, I think Severino's definitely the the much better prospect. So I I really I do believe a lot of this is mental with Severino. I think that somehow 
he's just you know something's going on with him and he's not able to to complete his his pitches and I, I think that's that's one of the big things he's not he's not finishing his pitches and and he's he's leaving things up too much and uh, and he's he's just hittable when that happens just getting there's too many balls uh, being hit hard against him so I really hope. You know, if, if it's an injury and that was lingering and that was something that was happening and, and you know, he was being quiet about it or or it was just they, something they knew about and they were just kind of having him work through, who knows? Uh, that, that could be a situation. And if that is the situation and he can get back from it, you know, maybe we'll see the Severino we saw at the end of last year. But I do have, I have confidence in him that he's going to come back. I don't know if that injury was pre-existing considering he was throwing in the mid to upper 90s. I'm just not sure something like that. A tricep injury, I don't know if it directly affects, you know, how hard you throw it or it can really affect your location. I think it can affect, you know, different things and, and having a feel for the ball. You know, it, who's to say what it, what it really affects? I mean, your arm can still, uh, he can still dial back and probably throw the ball hard if there's something going on. Uh, but, but can he control it? Can he, can he get the same action on some of his breaking pitches? There's a lot of things to consider when you're, when you're talking about a pitcher in the arm and the different, you know, things that get hurt. So I don't know. You just, you, I know a lot of people on Twitter are really even questioning the fact that there is an injury and this is yeah. not a confidence thing. Convenient and like, hey, time. Yeah. So who knows, man? We'll, we'll have to see what happens. I mean, only time will tell. And, uh, when, when, when he goes through this, let's hope he can rehab well and, and come back hundred percent. We got a mailbag, a couple mailbags relating to this. So why don't we get into those now? Uh, Judah says, is Severino going on the DL just a nice way to get him off the field? Also, when he comes back, does he keep his spot in the starting rotation? And I think this is exactly, you know, I think people were very, were very were kind of looking at this cross-eyed about the timing and uh, the fact that he had been struggling so so much before this. And honestly, the, 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 starts, the two starts before that, I saw, to me, I saw more positive things than, than earlier in the season. But that last start was just awful. Obviously, it was, it was terrible. And um, I don't know, he just, he just, he does not look like himself. So does he come back? We'll have to see. I don't think there's a guarantee at all. I was listening to the radio during the fifth inning of this game, and Eric Boland, you know how they do like the the Newsday uh, yeah. fifth inning or whatever. Eric yeah. Boland, uh, he's he's um, he's covers the team. I, I forget for which uh, publication, but he said that he was hearing rumors the Yankees were planning on sending him down to AAA if he did not have a good start after this game. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even matter if that's true or not. The, the fact is that he's on the DL right now. He's going to rehab in AAA. He's going to come back through the minor league system. And he's only going to come back if his confidence up and he's producing at the AAA level. So, I mean, th- that's where we'll see him next. We'll see him pitching in Scranton. He needs to use the time in AAA to really work on his off-speed pitches. Absolutely. He needs to get his changeup more consistent like it was last year. And he needs to develop that slider. He needs to develop control with that slider. People on Twitter were saying, what good is sending him down to the minors going to do? He's just going to dominate like he did last year. It's not the same thing. When you're coming through the minors for the first time, you're just looking to get to the major leagues. You're, you're trying to get batters out however you can, and you're going to use your best stuff to do that. And that's what he was doing his first time around. If he goes back to the minors and they tell him, listen, you're not coming back up unless you improve on your off-speed pitches, that's what he'll do. It's impossible to to develop off-speed pitches in the major leagues when all you have is a fastball. You're never going to get through games that way, and you're going to hurt the team who's trying to compete, and you're also going to hurt your your overall you know psyche if you just go out and get absolutely crushed every time out. So well, and yeah, so I, I think what I'm saying is the injury is definitely convenient time. I'm glad it's uh, hopefully it's not serious. Knock on wood. Triceps injury, you know, it's very close to the elbow, which is scary, but it's not the elbow. It's triceps. So hopefully it's a quick 15-day rehab and he can get back on the mound in AAA. But 
I think it's kind of convenient. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, it definitely is. I, I think the biggest thing for him, and I mean, you're saying that that you can't really develop a pitch. I mean, we've seen guys develop pitches on the major league level. I mean, that's what CC's doing. He's developing pitches while he's pitching in the major Here's league. Here's the difference, though. Avaldi, same thing. Avaldi is the example, really, that I think is a, a close comparison. Is that he's developing the the that split finger, and you know, he's working on the slider and, and curveball, and he's working on these things at the major league level. But the difference for me is is the confidence, and this is such a young guy that. He has only had such a small dose of the major leagues that once you start shaking that confidence of a young guy like that, then it can really spiral out of control. And while he definitely has to work on those pitches in the minor leagues, no doubt, I think he needs to get his head right. That's the biggest thing for him. His off-speed pitches are, are like borderline single-A level at this point. At least Evaldi's splitter, you could argue, is is triple-A caliber, and he's and he's, it's becoming much better, and he's developing it. When you all you have is a fastball... And you and you're just trying to work on pitches. Other than that, I, I don't think it's possible to do it at the major leagues. Um, so you know they sent him down, and, and the this kind of screwed up everything because Gary Sanchez was brought up to face Sale and um, Quintana, who are both tough lefties. But they ended up having to send Gary Sanchez right back down after Friday night's game because they had to go through the bullpen. They spent the bullpen on Friday night, so they ended up calling up Chad Green and Connor Mully. And we got kind of a funny mailbag from Neil. He said, Connor Mully, who the F is that? <laughs> and I think you and I had the same reaction when we saw that name. Yeah, we talked about prospects this whole offseason. We were looking into the system. And not one time did I come across and and make a mental note into my brain that Connor Mully was a guy that was a, a potential call-up for the Yankees at some point this season. So, yeah, uh, kind of on the same page. I don't know if that's a bad thing, but honestly, I never did not know who this dude was. I had to do the research to find out who he was. And it, actually, he's been in the system for, for quite some time. I mean, even when we had the Pistrite Prospects guys on, this was never a guy that they were talking about as, as, a, as a key contributor. So I think he's definitely an under-the-radar guy. He's been pitching well in the system. I mean, he was, uh, he's been there since 2010. He's had come through some injuries, but he came up through the system pretty well um, and pretty quickly, and he's been pitching effectively in, uh, in AA and AAA. So he's a guy that's getting a shot, right-handed, right-handed uh, pitcher, 6'4 dude from, from uh, Arlington, Virginia. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what he's got. He's got a very, very low batting average against in AAA. I think it was a, a 172 clip guys are hitting against him. So we'll see what he's got. Like you said, we went through a lot of names for that Scranton shuttle, and never did Connor Moley come up. So Yeah, but we'll see if he even gets a shot to pitch But before he goes back he on that bus. He was warming up in the pen today. He did not pitch, but he was warming up in the pen. So, uh, Almost, almost. Almost. Saturday, uh, Jose Quintana, ex-Yankee farmhand. He was uh, in the Yankee system from 2008 to 2011. Never really amounted to much. The Yankees released him. Chicago took a flyer on him, and he's turned into be a pretty good pitcher. You know, can't really blame the Yankees for that. Uh, he was in the system for a lot of years, and he never amounted to anything. So can't get mad at the Yankees for that. Some guys just turned it on late. Yeah. Um, but this was a 2-1 game. This is the first time we saw the big three, Batances, Miller, Chapman, all in the same game. And they got, uh, they got I believe it was 10 outs, and they struck out seven. Just absolute filth from those three guys. So much fun to watch. That's just it's such a it's really a spectacle to watch now now that we know that it's there and these two, these three guys are are strikeout machines. So yeah, it's it's awesome to see the plan coming to work finally. We're we're starting to see all these three guys uh, roll out there consistently. So it's a weapon. It's a real big weapon for this team. 
couple of fun stats about some Yankee players from this game that stuck out to me. So Didi got a clutch two out RBI and I looked up his numbers. He's five for 12, which is a 416 batting average with two outs and runners in scoring position. Good for Didi, man. He's he's really come a long way with the way he hits. Uh, you know, I, I know he's not at the at the point where he needs to be this season. Is is he's definitely started off. He, he actually got off quickly in the first couple weeks, and then and then along with the rest of the team, just decided to to um, learn not to to not hit. <laughs> and uh, I, I swear that's a learned behavior after you know how to hit. But um, he's he's come back in big and in big situations. He's been really big. You know that that bases clearing. Uh, that base is clearing ball on the right field line to start the kind of the resurgence of the Yankees offense uh, last week versus Price. Yeah, it was a was a big deal. So that it's good to see him uh, hitting with two RBI, two out RBI situations. And this one off Quintana. So uh, versus Price and versus Quintana, lefties. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, and today they had, they had a, a stat up talking about him batting. I think like three fifty over the last eight games and against. Uh, I think it was against. No, he's been had a lot of success against lefties. A lot of success against lefties. Yeah, he's definitely, I mean, he was bailing out at the beginning of last year, and he definitely started to hang in more, hit some more line drives the other way against lefties, which is helping him stay, you know, in on on pitches, not bailing out. So definitely, Didi's becoming one of my favorite players all around. But also, Romine's hitting 303 on the season, and I believe you and I talked about him being an automatic out in the beginning of the season, which he was the first couple weeks. But he's really turned it on. He's starting to hit. He's hitting a couple doubles. He had a ground rule double on uh, Saturday, which kind of screwed the Yankees because there was a guy on first base and two outs, and obviously then it's just second and third. That's one of my least favorite rules. I think they need to change that where it's umpire judgment with two outs if the guy would have scored. I mean, usually on a two-out double, a guy scores no matter what, so kind of screwed the Yankees there. Kind of flashbacks to 2004 Game 5 ALCS when... The Yankees couldn't score, and um, Gary Sheffield from first on a ground rule double. But, you know, is Romine turning into sort of like a, a next Cervelli? Yeah, real quick on the two out on the two out rule too. I mean, to me, if you're if you're putting that judgment in the umpire's hands, you're giving him control of a game, and I don't know if you want that because there are so many things that could possibly happen. I mean, Aaron Hicks throws 105 miles per hour from the outfield. I mean, how do you know that he doesn't throw a perfect strike and and the guy gets nabbed at home? I mean, there's so many things that can happen, and to put that type of situation in the control uh, into an umpire's judgment, I don't really like that. Uh, I like the the fact that there's a definitive answer to it. You know what I mean? And nobody can really say anything about it. Yeah, there's judgment. Umpire judgment comes into play on other things, like where runners would end up on a fair foul ball on a replay. Yeah, I I understand that. I don't know this this to me. If you're if you're talking about two outs and that's the only situation, you got to flip a switch with the umpire saying, "Hey, it's two outs. I got to make this judgment call if that's the case." I don't know. I just, I'm not I'm not a big fan of that one. Um, but you know, potato, potato, the Cervelli thing. Yeah, I mean, dude, this this guy's hitting. He, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for Austin Romine. We saw it in the, we saw it in in spring training. He was hitting the the ball very well. And you know, I, I just listening to the Paul and Neil talking about. It, he's really shortened up his swing. He's gotten rid of that long, uh, that long swing that he's had. That was that was really just taking him a long time to get to the baseball. Um, you know, short too long through is one of the sayings for for shortening that swing. You want to get to the ball as fast as you can, and then you go long through it. And that's what he's doing. He's been playing really well, and he's hitting the ball. He was a DH for God's sakes. I mean, that's crazy. That never. I never thought he would ever ever enter a baseball game on the major league level as a designated hitter. Never happened. And uh, to his credit, he's really turned his career around. Nova pitched well in this game too, which is nice to see. He got five and two thirds innings, and he left after giving up a walk to Frazier. 
brought in Batansis, which I totally agreed with. You know, don't push it there. Go to your big guns who were who were rested. Nova, Nova is starting to starting to show something, and I think that he could actually be a big part of this team for the next you know next couple months. He's he's pitching really well. I mean, this, those first two starts were, were I mean, he was on pitch counts the, on the first start, and he was probably on one in the second start, and he's been pitching well. He's, this is what we need. We need guys to keep us in games. We can't have four, four like Pineda early blow up innings. That's just that's not a good positive thing. We need guys to eat innings, keep the the Yankees in the game, and get to the back three, uh, back three innings where we we can unleash that that bullpen beast. And you know that's what Nova is. He's an innings eater. He can he keeps the ball down and uh, and he can have success. So good for him. And um, he's coming in at a, at a great time and pitching well. So to this point in the podcast, it has been mainly positive, but right now we're going to get a little negative when we talk about Masahiro Tanaka. We. I like when you say we. You're, so, okay, maybe Scott will stay positive. We'll see. <laughs> Today, the Yankees won 7-5. Huge win. Another another big you know day out of their bullpen. But Tanaka, on the homestand, gave up four home runs, and I looked up some stats. He gives up two times as many home runs at Yankee Stadium than he does on the road. And I know Yankee Stadium is a, is a has the short right field porch and everything, but two times is is not the you know short down the right field line is not the only reason why it's two times. What else is going on there? Yeah, he's definitely the last two starts have not been good for him. And and you know usually when we see home runs coming off of Tanaka pitches, they're they're the solo variety, right? And and he's been letting up. Not solo home runs. I mean, we've seen we've seen a couple uh, a couple shots out that were multiple guys on base. So that's that's not a good situation for your number one starter. Uh, this is the guy that we need to 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 get us, you know, deep into a game. Pretty much every time he's pitching, and we know what happens when he gets to 100, 100 pitches. He's not the same guy. He's a, he's a different type of pitcher. So he needs to he needs to be more effective than this. He's still getting the strikeouts. So he's still got the 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 miss the bat stuff. But when when he's getting hit, he's getting hit hard. Yeah, but even when he gets strikeouts, it takes five, six pitches per per batter, and you know he's just a lot of pitches. Like you said, five, uh, you know, today a hundred pitches in five innings, and then he's out of the game. And uh, you know, he also not only does he struggle when he gets to five innings, but he struggles when he's not on five plus days rest. So the normal routine, especially when your team doesn't have days off, is you pitch, then you have four days where you don't pitch, and then you pitch on the fifth day. That's what a five man rotation is. But because of off days, you can pitch when you have five full days off. And when he gets those five full days or, or even more, he's very good. But when he pitches on the fifth day like he did today and like he did the previous start, he gets hit. And in Japan, it was five full days off and you pitch. So it is a, you know maybe that's why he does well that way. But he needs to start adapting because the Yankees can't shuffle rotation just to accommodate Tanaka. He's there quote-unquote ace they need him he needs to be able to pitch on that fifth day and like right now they're in the middle of a 20 game stretch in 20 games you can't be bumping Tanaka a day for that you need him to pitch yeah and you know the bringing back the the Japanese way of doing it and you have that that extra day of rest I mean I mean look dude this is your this is you know you're you're here in the big leagues you've been here for now a couple years that that really can't be an excuse anymore I mean we know what it what what the what the numbers look like and how uh, how much more effective he is when he gets more rest. But you're right, he actually he has to adapt, and we need uh, we need better starts out of him. Those last two starts were not good at all. Michael Kay also today said on the broadcast that he uh, takes longest in between pitches in Major League Baseball, twenty six and a half seconds. I was surprised by that actually when I heard that. I was, 
it didn't, I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe it's just because he's on my team. It doesn't feel like it's as long. I know today, he's like, today it felt like it. Yeah. Because David Price, uh, I thought, was by far the longest, but apparently I Tanaka believe is. Price was the longest last season, but so far okay. this season, Tanaka has been the longest. 26 and a half seconds is a long time. It is a long time. What was the proposed shot clock? Do you remember what a, uh, they have one now, isn't it? But they don't enforce it. They don't enforce it. I, I forget yeah. what it was. I don't I even think, remember I what think it was. was actually 30 seconds. <laughs> Or yeah, maybe maybe been twenty five, but Chris Sales is one of the shortest. I think he's like seventeen seconds, so a full yeah, ten seconds shorter. That's see, that's what I would. I I don't really understand the the pitchers that take forever on the mound because to me pitching is a thing that is a is a type of it's the type of activity on a baseball field where you really have to get into a, a groove and get into kind of the flow of the game and into to a steady, uh, you know, steady rotation of of what you're doing. And when you're taking that much time. You really can't get into a flow. You can't get into a groove. You, I, I would think that it would help you to be a little faster up there. I, I don't know. It just, I guess there, I know guys do different things, but it just seems like it's uh, kind of productive. I'm a little scared that we're going to get a Tanaka injury soon. Yeah, this is uh, the the two in a row is getting to you. Well, it, velocity's not there. Yeah, the velocity's not up. there. Control's not there. He walked a couple guys today. Yeah, it, two it in just, a row. It's just. <laughs> I've been scarred by Tanaka every every time he struggles for a few starts in a row. Oh, he's feeling a little soreness in his wrist, feeling a little soreness in his forearm. Got to go on the fifteen day DL. It's just what Tanaka does, unfortunately. I'm not saying it's gonna happen now, but I'm I'm always on edge that Tanaka is gonna wind up on the DL, and we're gonna hear some some reports that he's having an MRI or something. You think Girardi does does something to shuffle it around though to give him another, another day's rest? After two straight starts of, of uh, well, they, pitching on the fifth day? Well, they do. Well, uh, no, they, they can't. I mean, There's no off day, there's right? There's no off day. They don't have an off day until after they finish the series in Oakland. You can't. Who are you going to call? I mean, they're, they're already down starters. I know. It's, you you got to pitch. Do it. He's got to pitch. He's got to sack up and pitch. It's the only Just way. Feel, it feels like a Girardi thing to do, though, even even with that. Well, who? But but then we're, we're going into Luis Sessa. Yeah. Right, exactly, but it's it's they're already having uh, Chad Green come up and pitch in place of Severino. So now you're going even deeper than that. Maybe Girardi thinks he can get away with that against Oakland. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> no, he would. Wouldn't it? Yeah, you're right. It'd be the first game in Oakland. Um, so the Batances ended up. Uh, well, before Batances even gave up the run, Beltron, 400th career home run, gave the Yankees the lead. He uh, is only, I believe it was the fourth or fifth switch hitter in MLB history to have 400 home runs. And soon Teixeira will have it. He's three behind. Yeah, and you say soon. There's been 100 yeah, like, bats. Like August 15th. <laughs> the, uh, I'm, you know, good for Carlos Bell trying to get that, get that 400th home run, get it over with, and, and to move on. But you know, he's another guy that we're seeing that's that that's playing better with more rest. I mean, obviously we know the the older guys when they get more rest can can just have more of a uh, energized body, I guess, but when he's getting that DH time, now that A-Rod's out, you're seeing him stroke the ball better. You're seeing fresher legs. You're seeing him actually prove that he's a DH and not a right fielder. And we have two of those guys now. And it was a clutch hit for him. He'd been struggling with clutch situations this year. So that was good. But Tances ended up giving up the lead in the seventh, though. But he did get out of a second and third no-outs jam. And also, the way he wound up giving up the run was two dribblers to Abreu and Frazier. And then Melky did hit the ball hard. But only one hard-hit ball in that whole inning. Sometimes you just 
balls find holes. I mean, that's just that's baseball, Susan. I was just waiting for that one. So I I, I was uh, not really mad at Patances. I was happy he got out of that jam. And again, the offense picked him up, which is huge. And do you know who that offensive player is that picked him up? I don't know. Was it a pinch hitter? It was a pinch hitter. Ah, oh, so some scrub off the bench. Yes, he was. He's the twenty, barely hanging on to that twenty fifth <laughs> roster, roster spot. How about Chase Headley? Your boy, man. He's he's uh he's he's coming back to your hashtag. He doesn't like that. He he says get me off Twitter. I think he finally. I I finally tweeted Chase Headley sucks enough where he saw it and he's like, you know what? I'm not gonna suck anymore. Two home runs in the homestand and this big clutch RBI double. This was not your intention for the Chase Headley sucks hashtag though. Your 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 intention was to bury the guy. You don't and know now that. he's just like, let's go. I, I'm sick and tired of hearing seeing this. So it actually, it actually, I think to spite you, he's starting to hit well now. Whatever, I'll take yeah. it. I don't know. I think you're kind of a, you're kind of angry about it. I was hoping one of two things would happen: either he would go away or start hitting. By hearing the fact that you wanted that ball to go foul, <laughs> it had nothing to do with him hitting. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not proud of that, but it, it yeah. is the case. Yeah. So I want to I wanna actually go uh, off our notes here. And there was just a giant brawl between the Blue Jays and Rangers. Uh, I'm seeing it come through on Twitter, and I got a notification. Um, apparently, there's some still bad blood from that uh, playoff series last year. Nice. You did, it, did they say what ensued the brawl? Uh, Bautista hard slide into second base. Uh, what a dick. See? Yeah, good. Good. Bautista is one of those guys. He's one of those hot-headed guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about this. We didn't even talk about something. Brett Lowry. Can we talk about Brett Lowry now? <laughs> the fact that you, you're you like, I don't even remember this guy, and you're, you're, you're saying that you didn't even remember who he was or whatever, that I was mad about it. Did you see him with his stupid eye black <laughs> and his stupid freaking mouth guard and the stupid way that he looks with those stupid glasses and his stupid armbands and like all the, an- the how animated he is that does everything? I can't stand him. Hold on. Do you think he's stupid? Oh, he's the worst. He is everything is awful about baseball. I hate him. It's like the kid who just puts gear on to put gear on to look cool. You don't look cool, dude. You look like a douche. I cannot stand. Brett he definitely Lowry. needs to be a better player. Like Bryce Harper, even though he might annoy us sometimes, he can get away with it. The dude rakes. Brett Lowry, you're not quite in that same ca- uh, caliber of Bryce not Harper. Quite same. He's not even remotely close to anything. He's been he's he's on like his sixth major league team, and it's not he's been in the league for what seven years. I don't even know if I just made those numbers up, but he's been on a lot of teams in a short amount of time because nobody wants him because he's a douche. Sick and tired of seeing that guy's face. He's your I, least I, favorite player in baseball. Oh, by far. He, I, I really can't stand looking at him. I really and the the whole vampire. Freaking Dracula mouth guard thing put me over the top. When I saw that, get this guy out of my face, please. Can we not play the White Sox anymore? I'm sick and tired of seeing this guy. Are you surprised the White Sox are off to this good of a start? I mean, you got to be surprised. I know they added a lot. Uh, I think the pitching is the biggest thing. I didn't, you know, I think Quintana pitching as well as he is is uh, is definitely something that nobody expected. Nobody expected Sale to go eight and zero. I mean, this is a guy that's, and we knew he was one of the better pitchers in the league, but he's off to a you know a phenomenal. Oh, you can start. you can predict that. I mean, the dude is filthy. Yeah, but not eight. I mean, that's 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 just not unhittable that, that, to start the whole season. Like every start, unhittable. It's just something you don't you don't see. Um, their offense. I mean, they they definitely have a, a big one two punch now with Abreu and uh, and and Frazier. Yeah, that's they're, a, that's a they're big... saying Frazier is really a team leader for them. I could did see you that. see him dive into the stands last week and and have the cut lip? Uh, I did not see that. Actually, yes, I did see that. Yeah. I did see that. 
He's he's the guy. I like the guy actually. I like Todd Frazier. I, I was kind of hoping the Yankees would somehow get. I don't know. I kind of want the Jersey guys to to come to the the Yankees with the Frazier and Trout. That would be my ideal acquisitions. I would say over. Yeah, he won a lot of people over with that home run derby last year. Exactly. Yeah, he's just a and and the fact that he had that iconic picture with uh, Derek Jeter, it was just a story too, too good to be true, you know. Yeah, bringing him to the Yankees. It's crazy. I'm actually watching the brawl as we're talking right now. It was a legit brawl, so you should yeah, definitely check it out after after we're done here. But that Rangers and Blue Jays, maybe that's one of the better rivalries right now. Uh, okay, so we mentioned the Yankees are in the middle of 20 games in 20 days, which is just murder on your roster. And as you see, guys going down, they got to call guys up and down. And now they're going on a West Coast trip. So they're going to go three in Arizona, National League Baseball. You know Girardi loves National League Baseball. He's probably already got all of his double switches planned. Probably over under on double switches, two and a half. So will there be one per game? What's your call? Yeah, well, he's gonna do it. He's gonna take advantage of this. He loves this. He's got his little nerd nerd laugh out because he's going back to the National League and can make all sorts of changes. So you know, the, Girardi, the binder's getting a workout, dude. You need to. He needs to, you know, watch the watch the paper cuts. A lot of band aids on staff. You know, make sure that the all the all the pages are, are nicely laminated. So this is this is gonna be a big time for the binder coming up. Yeah, the bind the binder's definitely setting his bag over that fifty pound limit on on this West Coast trip. You know. You know he loves National League Baseball. I think Girardi would probably vote to get rid of the DH because just he loves making double switches so much. But Greinke's going to be pitching and so is Shelby Miller. Neither are pitching well, but they are the, the Diamondbacks' aces. So Greinke's always dangerous, filthy stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Chad Green, as I said earlier, will make a start in place of Severino. He's actually been very good in AAA. He's had seven starts and he has a sub-2 ERA. So he deserves this start. But, um, you know, he is a triple-A guy coming up, make it, making first start of the year for the Yankees. And, um, you know, I, I just – I get flashbacks when whenever the Yankees are playing in Arizona of 2001 World Series. And it just yeah. – it gives me nightmares. I don't know about you. Yeah, that was that was one of the – that was one of the hardest losses uh, that I've that I've ever endured. I'd say that one and the the Seattle loss in '95. Those two were were definitely heartbreakers. And um, so yeah, not fond memory, not fond memories going back there. Luis Gonzalez to this day, I still ugh. Ugh, can't handle him, man. I, I I remember watching that. I was laying on my living room floor. My dad was sitting on the couch. I was 2001, so I was 13 years old at the time. And I just remember being in disbelief because the Yankees had only won in my lifetime. I know 95, but I was I was seven years old in 95, so I don't I didn't remember it that much. But for so many years in a row, they had won. I was just like, wait, what just happened? Did Rivera really just blow it? And and that year was just. I mean, obviously it was September 11th, and it was right after. It was like the the entire. The entire world was behind the Yankees at that point because it, it was fate. The Yankees had to win the World Series at that point. And when it didn't happen, it was just so unreal. Like it was not – I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this actually. The, I, I, just, I just couldn't believe it was possible for them not to win that game. And the fact how they, how they, how they lost on that bloop, like infield was in it. Like it was just a – the scenario was just unbelievable. And um, – you know, with obviously the events taking place that year, it was it was their time. Like they had to win, right? They had to they had to heal the city with baseball, and that that did occur. And you know, even though they lost, um, it did it, they did their job. I mean, those three games way. in New York were maybe three of my favorite baseball games ever. It was a, it was a it was an unreal time. It's it's tough to explain how how the emotions were, but yeah, but yeah. Uh, so chilling memories back then. Yeah. So hopefully they can erase some of those memories with three in Arizona, and then they go straight to Oakland for four. 
So neither of these teams are that great. You know, Arizona is fifth place in their division. Oakland's fourth place. So the Yankees should continue to win series. And, <laughs> and that's the way they're going to get back into this thing. Oakland, such a dangerous way of talking. Such well, a dangerous way of talking. We said this. We said this last time they were playing Oakland, and then they end up getting swept. But Oakland just gave up forty runs to the Red Sox in a three-game series. Forty. I just have. Four, a, I, zero. I never have a really good feeling going on a West Coast trip. For, for, there's, there's always those. The West Coast trips are always the ones I dread because it always seems like, you know, if we get out of a West Coast trip at five hundred, I'm happy. That's, that's my feeling. That's, that's kind of my always feeling when they going into a series like that because. Just seems like every single time in my whole life, the West Coast trips have been tough. Well, there's usually been good teams. They've never played well with Anaheim, and, and you know Seattle was good for a long time. So, but these are two bad teams. There's no excuses. You've got to win these series. Two bad teams throwing with Arizona though, Gran- throwing Granky and Chevy Miller, who have you know shut down potential. Uh, it's Granky's it's, got a five ERA. I, I know, but he's not a five ERA guy. That's the thing. So, <laughs> Granky could sh- the the with a real. Will the real Zach Greinke please stand up? Right. That you, dude could stand up against the Yankees. Here, here we and, go. And you wouldn't bat an eye. Eight innings, 13 Ks or yeah. something. Yeah. I mean, like would that. that surprise you? It wouldn't surprise me. No. But right. I, but but it would annoy me. And they gutted their their minor league system to get Sheldon Miller. That dude's really pissing people off. Yeah. Yeah. And Greinke's making boatloads of cash. So kind of a dumpster fire there in Arizona. Um. All right, so uh, we got some mailbags. Uh, thanks again. The mailbags continue to roll in, which is great to see. This first one is from Anthony, and this one shocked me when I saw it. He says, could someone tell Paul O'Neill he does not have to comment on every pitch? We know he knows the game, but most of what he talks about is very boring and average fan does not care about the intricacies. Uh, wait, what? The intricate of a game. I should have proofread that. Basically Probably saying intric- intricacies of a game. Yeah. Basically, he says he doesn't like Paul O'Neill calling the games on yes. And I could not disagree more. I think O'Neill and, and, and with Cone this week w- was very entertaining. Yeah, see, the, the reason I, lo- I love Paul O'Neill, first of all, I mean, how can you not love the guys from, from, from those championship teams? I mean, this is a guy that's the heart and soul of, a, of, a, of the, the great, one of the greatest eras of baseball in Yankees history. For my life, it's probably, it is the greatest era. And how can you not love a guy who gives you... Not only does he give you nuggets on the field, I, first of all, I just like hearing him talk because he's kind of just like a meathead talking, and I, I appreciate that. And and he knows who he is. He knows he says dumb things, and he just kind of embraces it. But you get these stories, like the back of the bus thing. Like you you don't hear that, and I love hearing this type of stuff. So yeah, I, I disagree with it too. I love O'Neill on there. He had two great great little tidbits from the Kansas City series. One was that he used to change clothes when he was in elementary school at lunchtime because he lived so close, and he wanted to show off his new outfits. And the second was that he used to write notes to himself on his bat. It's good stuff. You know who else writes notes to themselves is Ben Gamble, who wrote it in his hat after the first time he was out in the field. He went just, down and read it. That's just good an stuff. excuse for him to take his hat off and show off his hair. <laughs> yeah, so I like it. This is why I tell you what, his his dislike for Paul O'Neill, I guess because of this stuff, to me, feels very similar uh, why people don't like Harold Reynolds. And that's what I don't understand. And I think maybe if Paul O'Neill wasn't your guy, you wouldn't like Paul O'Neill. But because he is Paul O'Neill and he's your guy, that's why you like him. Because Harold Reynolds does a very similar type of commentating, in my opinion. There's also something to be said, though, for the fact that O'Neill is calling maybe 30 games a year of regular season baseball on Yes when he's speaking directly to a Yankees audience. And yes. Harold Reynolds is calling the World Series. Like if Paul O'Neill, I, I was, if if Paul O'Neill was was spewing bullshit in the middle of a Game Seven World Series, you might be a little annoyed by that. 
I guess. I just I like that type of commentary. I like having a guy who's played baseball and talks candidly about it. I I, I, um, I like that kind of guy. Well, I, I think most fans would agree that they like O'Neill, and you know maybe who knows maybe Anthony wasn't really um, you know uh, that old when when O'Neill was playing for the Yankees, so he doesn't have that same love uh, for O'Neill that a lot of fans do. But yeah, that one definitely surprised me. Uh, all right, what do we got next? This is from Greg in Poughkeepsie. He says, I love how you gave me the three-paragraph one, by the way. So so much has been spoken about the negative things so far this season, but I wanted to see what you guys thought were the bright spots of the season so far, as well as some insight into and when the Yankees will turn around the season. This was definitely written early in the week. And what will need to happen to get them back into the hunt in the AL East. I have been impressed with Starling Castro, like many fans have. Also, CCU was a nice surprise to see him perform above expectations before the DL stint. Barbado was a nice surprise, albeit short-lived since he has now been sent down to AAA. I would like to see the one-two punch of Ellsbury and Gardner in full swing. I believe once they are clicking, we will see a mustache-esque Yankees offense come back in a big way. Get them on, get them over, get them in. That's how the AL East crown, oh, let's take the AL East crown, go Yankees. Good good, mail, good mailbag, I appreciate that. The... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've been trying to find positives uh, even in, during that down time of of the the 2016 season. The, uh, the but you're right, Sterling Castro has been a guy that we really haven't said too many negative things. I mean, he's had some some base running blunders, two of them uh, in in bad situations. So I think that's really one of the the only knocks on the dude. But um, he's overall been been terrific. He really has, and he came out of the gate very hot, which was good. So <laughs> he's yeah, been their most he's, consistent. He's, been he's been the most consistent player from day one. And dare I say that Nathan Avaldi has been has been I think taking strides <laughs> to to a uh, I can't to, disagree to be a more effective pitcher. Yeah, there you go. So here, uh, I want to get to his question about what needs to happen for them to get back in the hunt for the AL East. And I think the number one thing is the starters need to go deeper in games. Okay, you mean they need to get to the sixth through the sixth inning? Is that specifically what you're talking about? Well. I I don't know what the numbers are. I would guess that the average Yankees start is somewhere in the high fours to low five innings. It yeah, needs, it's it needs close to it needs to be in the high five innings to low six, or else they're screwed. They're not gonna they're not gonna get back into the race if that does not happen. Yeah, I mean it's hard to disagree with that. I mean, you know, the easy answer would be the offense because the offense was so bad and they have to stay consistent. And while that's true, I think as as the weather warms up and we're starting to see these guys. Um, you know, really get into the swing of the season, no pun intended, they are going to to be more consistent. Baseball definitely runs in streaks, and unfortunately, we ran into a really bad one with a lot of people at the same time, and it just doesn't happen very often. So I I, I feel like it was, you know, like staring at the sun, it's just like a bad thing to do, and uh, and you, you can't do it for very long, and I think that's what this was. You know, I think these guys, you'll, you'll see everybody go into a slump at some point or another, but I just, I have a hard time believing they're all going to do it at the same time. So I, I agree with you. I think that pitching needs to get, we need to get the ball to those big three more often than not. And while we can't rely on them every single day, uh, you know, most games we can rely on them. And if they're throwing one inning at a time, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a good thing. So, yeah. Well, we I, saw I, them each pitch in back-to-back games. So most likely they're not going to be available uh, for Monday's game in Arizona. Maybe one of them will be available. Maybe Chapman if it if it's just a closed situation. Batances definitely won't pitch because he's thrown a lot of pitches the last two days. You could see either Miller or Chapman pitch. But Girardi has said ideally he won't use all three on the same day to avoid right. a situation like this. And if your pitchers can go into the sixth inning, you don't have to use them every day. You can, you can skip one on a day. So, yes, in a very tight situation, in a big game, you can use the three of them. 
but in a in a game you know normally you just use two and, and sh that should be more than enough to win that should be the luxury of this bullpen no doubt but we do need those guys to step up like uh, so Greg was talking about Barbado and and honestly Barbado had I don't know, maybe one good outing in the majors. He was good and obviously very good in spring training and came out with a lot of fanfare coming out of uh, out of Tampa from spring training. But he really didn't put it together for not even a you know a long period of time by any means. I mean, he, he started the struggle yeah. almost from the get go. He had a couple of nice early, early like his very first early. two outings were good, and then his and third then from one, there. Yeah. I remember what it was. His third one, he had a good inning, and then Girardi brought him out for the second inning, and he right. lost the game in extras. And then since then, he hadn't been the same. Yep, I agree with that. That's that's exactly the I remember that that exact game. So yeah, so we need that. We need those guys. I mean, we need Jason Shreve to go back to the forum, and he's he has not been good. He's been bad. Um, Second so half, Shreve. Yeah, we need guys to 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 actually step up uh, that are not the big three. We need these guys to come in and and uh, and pitch well. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe. Uh, Maybe we'll see something from um, I'm Connor looking Mully. for his name, Connor Mully. <laughs> I, I knew where you were going. I was like, he doesn't remember that guy's I name. He's like, please remember the name in the middle of me stalling. <laughs> yeah, Connor uh, maybe he's the maybe Connor Mully's the answer. <laughs> All right, next mailbag is from Robin Lett, and we can get through this one quickly because we have talked about it before. He says, "Hey guys, I'm from Somerset, England. Longtime Yankees fan and love the show. I was lucky enough to get over to New York City in 2014 to catch the July series with the Reds." Get, I think we were at that series. Yeah, we were. That was the Bronx pinstripes outing. That just yes, hit we were. He says, given that commute is kind of a stretch to get to the Bronx, do you see MLB ever bringing a regular season series to London? The Olympic Stadium seems such a perfect location to build on successes of NFL London. Keep up the good work. So uh, Robin must be a new listener to our podcast because you and I talked about this when the NFL did play over in London. Yeah. This must have been back in November or something. Uh, because there was reports that the baseball could go to London soon. Um, I think you and I were on the same page that we want to see that happen uh, because there's baseball is such a long season that playing three games in London is not a big deal. Well, right, and we see it early in the season. I mean, they've gone to Japan, they've gone to Australia, so I, I definitely see that. Definitely see it happening. I think. I think they're trying to just get more appeal, obviously global appeal across uh, across into different countries. So yeah, I, I see it happening for sure. Um, so yeah, Robin, you could, uh, I, we did do that episode, uh, a while ago. So uh, you can look at the show notes if you want to hear us talk about it. We talked about it in length actually. So, um, you know, we're, you know, we're big over in the UK, I guess, cause the next mailbag is also from a guy from London. This is from Lee Jones. He says, hi, uh, hi guys, Lee from Liverpool, England again. We've heard from, from Lee. So thanks Lee for coming back. Just wanted to thank you for answering my three questions and clear up the whole three questions. One of all right, I'm totally screwed by this. One one of the three questions, I think we screwed up the way he, he said it was a typo, and we thought it was a saying. Yes. So, so why don't you read this, because okay. you're the one that said it. So last week, we got an email from Lee Jones, who's from Liverpool, and he had a, a big whole rant, and it was great. And he had a typo in it, and he said, um, it said, I'll sit is frivolous. And I thought that was... English slang, you because it sounds doesn't it sound like it, it sounds could be British I, slang? Also, it's frivolous. Yes, it sounds yeah. perfect actually. It's like, what'd you call me? Yeah. <laughs> but he says it was actually a typo, and he was trying to say, "I'll admit it is frivolous." So obviously, he says he was in a pub and typing on his phone, so he must not have been sober. So he wanted to clear that up, but I I kind of wanted to put that in there because it's funny that 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 happened. I'm I'm gonna use I'll sit. It's frivolous. It sounds it sounds just pretentious enough to be from uh, you know British slang. 
There you go. I mean, lost in translation. I love that we, uh, you know, it seems like some of these people over in Europe are listening to the podcast. That's how they, they're consuming their, their sports talk. Beauty of podcast, baby. You, you don't have to have a radio station. You can listen to us from anywhere. I know we got guys in, in Paraguay. We got guys in Germany, England, Australia. Awesome. Love the international uh, international audience. So thanks, guys, for for doing that. And keep coming in because you guys have a very unique take on on some of the things that we don't see. That's definitely been proven. It's, uh, it's we're like we're like Pitbull, Mister Worldwide. There you go. Next one is from Julio. Uh, his, he's uh, at Julio Mavar ESG. <laughs> hey guys, I hope you're doing great. I was wondering how bad we the Yankees are doing so far. That, I was wondering how bad we the Yankees are so far this season. I found out that we haven't been able to win three games in a row. I don't remember a very long winning streak with Girardi as manager. Do you know what is Girardi's longest winning streak, either as manager of the Yankees or the Marlins? I'm very to see how the Bronx Pinstripes family keeps growing. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Julio. We love seeing the family grow too. So he's picking uh, up on so that thanks, we. Man. Yeah, it's 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 gonna take the uh, sports world by storm. Couple people, we read that mailbag last week that that guy was pissed. We say we when referring to the Yankees, and we saw it with Julio in this mailbag, and some people this week on Twitter were were kind of making jokes about that. Yeah, they were definitely throwing in the we. It's uh, all we're all we're all we're all under the same roof. This is <clears> this is this is a we thing. So I looked up hit to his question, what was the longest win streak Girardi's ever had as Yankees manager, and it was ten games in two thousand twelve. And he's had a couple nine games and a bunch of eight game win streaks. I mean, those are significant. Definitely, that's yeah. that's multiple series. Anytime you go, you know, three to four, and and you know, could have even been into a fifth series, um, or no, maybe not, but definitely four series. That, that's a that's a big winning streak. I think we tend to we I say we <laughs> we as fans tend to focus too much. It's not too much. We just focus on the negative, and I think those are the things that spark in our brains. So like, has this ever happened? Because we're looking at it right now, and there's just we haven't we don't remember it. But they're out there. I mean, you know. And the fact of the matter is, this week and going going into the end of last week, I mean, we've won three big series. You start winning series like this, that's when you start getting you start climbing the the you know the 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 rankings in the uh, in the standings and. I know the teams above us have been doing well too. So Listen, the Red Sox are not going to keep scoring 11 runs a game. That's not going to continue. Their offense is good, but no one's 11 runs good. They've been getting their pitching stinks. They they just won today 10 to 9. So eventually when they're lo- no longer scoring 10 runs a game, they're going to start losing some ball games. Yeah. And I think you and I agree that Baltimore's pitching is not going to last. So th- this 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 division is not over by any means. No, these guys will fall back down to earth, no doubt about it. So I think, you know, you and I are on the same page this week. We saw some good things out of this team. No complaints. When you take three series from Boston, KC, and the White Sox, three of the best teams in the league, um, all, all good things and, and definitely has me pumped up for a West Coast trip. You know, ordinarily, I might uh, be down on a West Coast trip because those 10 p.m. start times absolutely suck. But I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to the Yankees uh, playing this week. Biggest thing for, for this team, uh, we've seen the, the injury bug catch us, and I know we have a long stretch of games, so we're going to need guys to step up. We're going to be seeing we're gonna see, be seeing Hicks a lot more. He needs to continue. We're going to be seeing some, some young arms come up that need to, be, that need to step up and, and really produce. So this is, a, this is a big time for the Yankees because we are starting to, to get going. The, the engines are starting to, to get heated up, 
and they really cannot have uh, another downswing. I mean, this is this is something that needs to go full bore now for for a longer stretch. So, big, big, big road road trip and uh, big stretch here with these twenty games. All right, sounds good. We will talk to you guys next week. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.